I don't think I've ever been looking at the news as intently and nervously and with as much dread and unsettlement as the last 10 days with the events that have been unfolding in Ukraine. And they feel very close to home to me. The idea of a computer programmer in Kyiv having the choice of do I flee, do I hide in an underground bunker, or do I leave my job programming for Google and take up arms to fight the Russian invasion and possibly, very possibly, get injured or lose lose my life. To me, that seems like a decision that is very relatable, that I can imagine that happening to in London. And it could yet happen if if this war becomes a wider thing, and let's hope it doesn't. But Ukraine has also been a country that I have cycled through and was a really important part of my Bristol to Beijing trip. And I went all the way from Odessa, which is now under assault, through Kherson, which has been taken by Russian forces, Melitopol, which is again being targeted by Russian forces. It's a big shipbuilding center. And I cycled all the way to Mariupol, which is currently being razed to the ground by Russian artillery. There hasn't been any water or electricity for three days. The city is running out of food. And it makes me incredibly sad to think of what the life that was held there. And I want to share my experience and story of uh, visiting Mariupol and some of the wonderful people that I met. You know, and this is a city of 450,000 people. It's bigger than Bristol, this place, Mariupol. And it's currently being bombed to the ground. But really, I want this to be a more positive and happy story to bring out what is some of the wonderful people that I've met and the wonderful experiences and to give another side to this narrative of just war and bombs and explosions. And hopefully uh, there'll be some fun along the way in this story, which is about 15 months ago when I cycled to Mariupol. I'd been going for over a week against some really terrible headwinds, 50 mile an hour headwinds, going at about five miles an hour on the bike, exhausting stuff. And I had Mike, Mike Rumsey for company, who was the most wonderful person to have, always a a funny little comment to lighten the mood. I mean, Mike was in the car, so I think he had the grounds. You know, he wasn't doing the hard work. He just had a camera in his hand and just had to click a button. But... Um, it was it was great to have Mike around, and at the same time, it was still a really tough segment of the ride. Now, the day that I was due to get into Mariupol, I'd been told that I need to come to this, this certain point. And when I was in Kiev, I met this guy called Igor, and he said, look, I've got a friend in Mariupol. He's done some cycling. He's He's a priest or he's a religious guy, but he's really cool. Like, you should meet him. And that was basically like all the information I had about this guy called Gennady Mohnenko. 
I sent him a message. He put me in contact with his secretary and his secretary said, come here on this evening and we will meet you there. And after a very long day of riding the bike in which for perhaps the first time, it wasn't me who got the flat tire, but it was Mike and his nightmare with the car continued on the first day. He, in his own words, wrapped the golf around a lamppost and Mike, ever since then, has not enjoyed driving in foreign countries, I can definitely say. And Mike, Mike's bad luck continued. He, <laughs> I was thinking back to it. Uh, midway through, Mike got stuck in the mud in, in the VW Golf. And then on this final day into Mariupol, Mike had a flat tyre. And... I didn't realize this and I had sort of driven on, but luckily we had BBC World Service with us doing some filming that day. So they went back to help Mike. But it meant that I got to Mariupol by myself and I had like no idea what was about to happen. Like maybe I was going to go, I was going to a hotel. Maybe I was about to give a talk at a school. Maybe it was a meet and a greet. Maybe it was a, a restaurant. I just didn't, I didn't have a clue. So I arrive at this location and there are these two guys from the local TV channels and they've got this bright, bright light and it's shining into my eyes. And before I've even stopped, they're asking me questions and they're interviewing me about my journey and how is it and what do you think of Mariupol? Do you like this place? And I'm like, dude, guys, I've, I've just arrived and it's dark. But what I had seen of Mariupol is about 10 miles outside of Mariupol, there was a police or a military checkpoint, a soldier checkpoint. And I thought this could be a, a bit of a problem that we might need some stamps on our passport or whatever. But they just looked at our passport and they waved us through and that was all fine. But even then, you know, it was an area of slightly higher security. So I arrived at this location. There are these media guys and... I'm kind of gabbling in Russian. My brain isn't working. I've been cycling the bike the whole day and I'm trying to sort of remember how to string a sentence together. And this, this scenario has repeated itself several times since. So I get free of the local TV crew. Mike joins me. Jonah Fisher from the BBC joins me. And that evening we do some sort of pieces to camera and whatnot. And then we're told the next morning we're going to meet this guy, Gennady, and we're going to see some of the work that he does. And I still don't really have a clue who this guy is. And I'm like, oh, this is this is some dude who just does some, I don't know, just done some riding of his bike and he's he's a priest. Like, priests tend to be kind of a bit boring. I didn't say, um, what? So um, when next morning rolled around and we had some more interviews to do with Jonah, we, I, I wasn't in a particularly big hurry to get to Gennady and his school. But we, we, we got there a bit late. And when I arrived, I felt I'd been completely mistaken to be a little bit callous with other people's time. The school itself was not a standout place. In fact, it's an orphanage. It's a grey, concrete, apartment block-like building that's looks like any other building uh, in, in Mariupol. Very unremarkable. As I go through the front door, there are these two lines of kids forming a corridor. And most of them are in masks at this point. The ones that aren't quickly put them on. And I pull up my buff over my nose. And they form this uh, little corridor for me to walk down and two of the girls 
and the kids here, they're probably 12, 13, 14, 15, that kind of age. And the two girls come up to me and they're in this traditional white rural UK, Ukrainian clothing, white, white blouse, red stitching. And they come up to me with a round loaf of bread and some salt in a bowl. And it's the traditional greeting to meet strangers and welcome strangers is a piece of bread and some salt. And then from the back came this booming voice. And I, I'm not sure I can do accents very well, but I'll give it a go. It's something like, welcome, Luke. It is so good. You are here. Welcome. And this was Gennady Mohnenko. And within about three milliseconds, I realized that this wasn't your typical priest. He's a man in his early 40s, late 30s, I would say, big guy. I think he's a former boxer. But what really stood out was the twinkle in his eyes and his huge charismatic personality. And I'd recommend anyone listening to this to check out the film, The Road to Mariupol, which there, there are two films actually about Gennady Mohnenko. And I suggest you um, check out The Road to Mariupol. You can find it on YouTube and you can see uh, the experience I had of Mariupol with Gennady there. There's this other film that you could check out called All Almost Holy. Uh, it does happen to be a Hollywood movie. So it, the production quality might be slightly higher, but uh, both, both are worth watching, you might say. So Gennady welcomes me in and he says, you know, this, this is the, the house of hope and these children, they, they are from the streets. And my accent is going all over the shop. My goodness, I'm going to quit it right now. <laughs> That's awkward as well because I should be able to do a Ukrainian-Russian accent. And I sort of don't really register what Gennady says, because all around me, there are these kids. They, they're playing, they're boisterous, they're lively, they're courteous, uh, they're very polite. And it seems like there's kind of one big family here. And basically what Gennady set up is the largest orphanage in the former Soviet Union. And he's showing me the dormitory, he's showing me the exercise room, the classrooms. And these just seem like normal kids. So like when Gennady tells me later, again, like these, these kids have come from the streets. And then he goes on to say, like, a lot of them, they had addictions to alcohol, to drugs. They were in such a bad way and showing me photos of these young boys with pock marks on their shins and their arms of needle marks and um, wasted bodies and uh, infected sores. I simply struggled to believe that these were the, the same kids because they seemed so normal. And that's when I began to realize the power of what Gennady and his team had done, had created and were doing. And their raison d'etre was to help kids from the street, to give them a home and adoption. And they did a big cycle ride around the world to promote adoption. And Gennady had this wonderful, wonderful 
phrase saying that like the the prize for him of having just like one child adopted it was like more more than all the gold in all the world and it was very very inspiring to be around someone who exuded passion and certainty in what he was doing and clearly enjoyed it he was very good at what he did he was very good at talking and publicizing and you can see why a hollywood film was made of him and it's interesting to like look online and there are like oh, it's oh this guy he's sort of um he's on a bit of an ego trip and uh he's got all this publicity and yes he does have a lot of publicity but this is a man who is is very good at what he does and i think he knows it and is still putting it to good use so we spent some time in the orphanage and then we decided we would cycle around Mariupol together. And I think there are just a lot of sites that, you know, just normal sites of a city. There, were, there was a theatre. There was a coffee shop called Aroma Coffee and the sign was in, in sort of bright orange on one side and bright, bright blue on the other. So these clashing colours that I quite liked. There were a lot of what we might describe as your classic kind of um, Soviet brutalist era architecture. So these apartment blocks, the Khrushchev apartment blocks that look a bit like a Lego set because they're literally modular and you just stack one on top of the other up to six, six stories high and maybe sort of 200 meters along. And they, they were everywhere. And we went down to the coast as well. And I remember there were, you know, there were lots of nice little corners to Mariupol. There was um, a a coffee shop called Veterano Coffee, like uh, Veterano Coffee. And I remember having a conversation with my godmother Liz there over a flat white. And there was another place where Mike and I, we had our farewell meal, a place called Stone, which was the, the nicest restaurant that we could find. And it's one of these places where you have these really thin, long-handled copper spoons and the plates seem to be made of, like, granite or stone, like, kind of, like, high-end kind of vibe. Perhaps not what you'd expect from far out Ukraine, but this is, this is Mariupol. And I remember the final day that I spent in Mariupol and Gennady invited me to the sauna, which is obviously a very Russian thing, very Ukrainian thing too, of course, and a lot of shared culture between Ukraine and Russia, huge amounts. So I joined him at the Banya and he had some of his kids there and he has, I've now done an update. I used to say he had 35 adopted children. He now has 39 adopted children which also makes me wonder, at the bottom of this, his wife must be the most phenomenal person because she must be doing a huge, huge amount of the heavy lifting. And I didn't get that much out about Gennady's wife, from Gennady at least. She seems to be the unsung hero in all of this. But I spent an afternoon with Gennady and maybe about 10 of his adopted kids in this banya. And what struck me most was, was the love. The boisterous, good-natured, jostling fun of boys 
wrestling, chucking each other into water, playing silly tricks, having pranks, and then also the very occasional but not needed to be repeated admonishment of Gennady, who I think operates a little bit like a, a military commander, which is an unfortunate perhaps reference at this point, but tough discipline when it's needed and let people, you know, let boys be boys in the meantime. And I have to say they were mostly boys. But that was kind of my recollection of Mariupol, like leaving Gennady, waving goodbye to him and his boys. They'd invited me, you know, for dinner. They'd invited me to the banya. And at that point, I thought, well, I'm, I'm... you know, I'm saying goodbye to someone and a group of people who are making a really big impact on on their community and on Mariupol. And I hope to see them again in the future and see what they get up to. They were talking about more cycle rides. And so that evening I got on a bus, an overnight bus with Chris the Tandem all the way back to Odessa. And now I don't know if I'll see them again. But I certainly know that the Mariupol that I saw and I left behind, now, it doesn't exist. (laughs) 